Acts chapter number 2. Wouldn't it be exciting? I think it would be exciting. Let me say it that way. I think it would be exciting if we, uh, wonderful, if, if uh, all we had to do was show up to experience the power of God in our lives. Wouldn't that be simple? You just show up, experience the power of God and the power to overcome temptation, the power to live in purity, the power to live and uh, to share Jesus, the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, to have that kind of power or uh, to follow some program that uh, to look and you go, there's, uh, there's uh, the, the, the takes you through that doesn't require any, pre- any preparation whatsoever. And we, uh, but, you know, that's not the way it is. What we find uh, the followers of Jesus doing in the upper room is they're preparing. Uh, they were preparing. They were preparing for the power of God to fall upon their lives. And you probably uh, know what happens in Acts chapter 2 after the Holy Spirit came and and came to stay, these followers of Jesus experienced great spiritual growth. They also saw great numerical growth as thousands repent of their sin and they turned to Jesus as their Savior. We, uh, we look and you go, there it is. And what an incredible movement of God and, and how we long to see that kind of power in us and among us, but not without preparation. We... Uh, uh, we'll never experience Acts chapter 2 without first experiencing Acts chapter number 1. And uh, first comes preparation, then comes power. And the last time together in Acts chapter 1, we discovered their preparation included. It included the authority of Scripture. Back to the basics includes getting our, our lives back under the authority of the Scripture. Uh, I've had some fun with that this week as I was uh, as we were there, uh, as we've talked about and different situations I was picking on one young person this week and uh, and I said when you get under the authority of the scripture guess what it takes care of that problem no uh and I said oh yeah here watch this this is really kind of funny no work no eat so no dinner tonight until you get your job done under the authority of the scriptures whoo preacher that's kind of rough I said, under the authority of the scriptures, guess what else that means? That means you got to finish your schoolwork, today's schoolwork. Today's schoolwork. Oh, don't like that idea either. But you know what? It's simple. You know, when we're under the authority of the scripture, we can take those things in which we know, we put them to practice. That's being under the authority of the scripture, those things that we know. And, uh, And it's amazing how much we already know. That's already know. So back to the basics includes our, our getting our lives back under the authority of Scripture where there is rebellion against God's word, where there is refusal to live under its authority. There's the absence of power, and that's true in, in our lives. That's true in marriages, and that's true in churches. So the way to prepare for God's power to fall upon our life begins with the authority of Scripture. Secondly, we talked about last week the priority of prayer. Those disciples of Jesus made prayer a priority again. They, they fought and they fussed much of the time, but it wasn't until they prayed themselves into one accord that the power of God fell on their lives. They, uh, and we can learn this from the book of Acts. God's power doesn't fall upon a divided fellowship. God's very specific in that. No wonder Paul said in Ephesians 4, 3, when he said endeavoring to keep unity of the fellowship, unity of the spirit and bond and peace. In other words, uh, put your full effort into it. 
It wasn't until they pursued the things which made for peace and the, the things by which one may edify one another, as Romans says, that the power of God fell on them and they prayed and God began to change their lives. As they were praying, God began to change their personal agendas were released. Their desire for, for position and power were released. Their, their pride and their egos were released. As they came together, God unleashed his power upon their lives. The church exploded with growth spiritually and and numerically, uh, you look and uh, do you see it? You, to get back to the basics means that every member protecting and promoting the unity of the church for where there's unity, there's power. And no wonder we read in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 19 when he says, God hates the one who sows discord among the brethren. Sowing discord ties the hands of God. Sowing discord ties the hands of God. Now, I think it's funny because, once again, I'll pick on those young people we have around our house. And uh, I won't pick on sisters too awful bad. I'm glad that my two children are not in here. But, you know, siblings, they are really good. They are really good. Miss Rachel, there is a question that my daughters are going to ask your mom about you. Uh, I'm pretty sure the question's coming. And it's a firstborn question is what I told them. It's a firstborn. It had nothing to do with anything else. But it was really kind of funny because the sibling thing, we have, we have two sets of siblings in our house right now. We have uh, Brittany and Hannah and we have Bethany and Amanda have been in there. And so you have two sets of siblings. And do you know that the younger sibling is really good, really good, in both situations, really good, at saying something to poke or to prod the older sibling. I don't even have to, you can take Lily and you can take Raylia. We, we could go through the, the mix. I'm pretty sure that I, you look at Rachel's over there before I even got to her sister. And uh, Miss Michelle shaking her head, you. And we all can do this. Siblings are really, really good at giving that poke and that prod. They are really good at giving that little, that little poke that just makes them go off and sows a little bit of discord. The younger one and then walks away like it didn't really happen. And I'm going, hogwash, I'm a parent, and I'm watching two sets of siblings. I said, hogwash, you started it. I didn't do nothing. I didn't do nothing. Yes, you did. You opened your mouth, and I know you did. That's all you had to do. You say, pastor, that's not fair. You know what? You were sowing discard, discord between the two. And I had tears in the two oldest ones. Why? Because the younger ones were going, with that drill. They're going there with that drill. And you know what? Let me ask. Is it fun when anybody in the house, when you've got that discord going on in the house, that's not a fun way to, to participate. So you know what kind of cruelty I was yesterday? I made them all go bowling together. I made them go bowling together. You say, what? I said, you bet. I put all four of them in a car, and I said, you go bowling on my dollar. I really just don't care. And you'll figure out how to get over it today. Today. Before you get home, you'll be over it. They came home all laughing together. Imagine that. But you know what? We've got to get to a place. When we look at the church, you look and you say, wait a second, Proverbs tells us that, that he doesn't like the one who sows. Let no one seek their own, but each one on others', others well-being. Not what's good for me, but what's good for you. And that's what we find taking place in Acts chapter 1. Preparation. 
now that we're, we're prepared, we're ready for power, and the power that would forever change their lives, their families, and their fellowship, their communities, and eventually their world. And so let's see what happened and how it happened and what it means for us to, to get back to the basics. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 1, we read, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like, to, like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. We're going to hold on there for just a minute here. And we're told that gee, what would uh, as we're walking through, you look and you say, Jesus had told them that this was going to happen. Back in chapter 1 and verse number 8, prior to his ascension, he said, Ye shall receive power. Jesus said this is what's going to happen. And all Judea, Samaria, and the, to the ends of the earth, he, he, and he strategically chose Pentecost to send down the power. You look and you go strategically, and, and what is Pentecost anyways? Well, Pentecost was the Jewish harvest festival. When they would come before God with their, their offerings and, and thanks for the harvest, it was something like our Thanksgiving Day. Uh, we, we celebrate every year. The word Pentecost means 50th. They're, they're started, uh, they started counting at Passover, which commemorated the, the exodus from Egypt. They counted off 50 day, 49 days. The 50th was Pentecost. They'd been celebrating Pentecost since the days of Moses, uh, as we've been studying in Sunday school. And now, having said that, let's see what happened in the church became empowered, which means the members became empowered because the church is nothing more than the sum total of its membership. So verse number one, when it says the day had fully come, that day. Now, I want you to drop down and notice with me that they, uh, we read that they were together in one place. If you look back in chapter number 14, or chapter number one, verse 14, and they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication and with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and with his brethren. They continued in prayer. The uh, Greek says they were together together. Well, of course they were. Back in, in uh, we're told they were there for one purpose, one mind, uh, homo thumadan. They uh, had prayed themselves in one accord, and now we read they're together together. They not only had union, they had unity. You say, what's the difference between union and unity? Well, you take two cats and you tie their tails together. You throw them over the telephone wire and they'll be in union. They're tied together, right? But they are not going to be in unity. No way. The crowd was not only together, they were together together. Here's how the psalmist would say it in Psalm 133, verse number 1. How good and how pleasant it is together to, for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, as the church became empowered, I want you to notice verse number 2 how it all began, and uh, the, the sound that surrounded them. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as, a right, uh, as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house and they were, the, that they were sitting. The, the sound of a rushing mighty wind. The sound was like a wind. Perhaps it was uh, like the sound of a hurricane or maybe like the roar of a jet engine. And that sound was the symbol of the Holy Spirit. What, what, but what wind? 
John 3, Jesus equated the Holy Spirit with the wind. And uh, verse number 80 said, where the wind blows, it wishes, it blows as it wishes. You, you hear the sound of it, but you don't know the direction that it comes from. You don't know where it, where it wishes or where it comes from or where it goes. So everyone who's born of the Spirit's like the wind, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. He's not visible, and yet you feel and you sense His presence, and you see His impact in the lives of people. See, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sins. It's the Holy Spirit that convinces us of the truth of God's Word. It's the Holy Spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's the Holy Spirit, like the wind, that leads us, guides us. Thank God for the wind. Thank God for the wind. See, and then Luke tells us in verse 2 that the sound filled the whole house where they were sitting. You talk about having surround sound. Fills the whole house. Completely, they had it. it. Apparently, it was heard by everybody in the city because we read in verse 6 that everybody in the city came out to see what was happening. When you look down there, it says, When it was noised abroad, the multitude came together, were confounded because that every man heard them speak in their own language. You mean it, it, there had to be a certain amount of noise that, that they came out, the sound, the, the, the sound that surrounded them, but notice the sight that touched them. Verse 3 tells us that the, there that they appeared unto them like cloven tongues, like a, a, as a fire sat upon each of them. Sat upon all 120 of them. What amazing power. Now, he doesn't say that what they saw was actually fire, but something that looked like fire. It was like a tongue shaped, and it, it rested on each of them. They were like 120 human candles. A flame flickering above every one of them. And then that building was the sound of a hurricane, a wind, and a fire. The sound of the wind was a symbol of the Spirit because Jesus equated the Spirit with the wind. And the fire was a symbol of the Holy Spirit because like fire, the Holy Spirit spreads the gospel, purges and cleans and purifies. Something else fire does is it illuminates. It, it illumines. It, it gives us light. He, he illumines the word. For us, he, he lightens the word. It's only as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit that our light can shine before men. Jesus said of John the Baptist in chapter 5 and verse 35 when he said he's shining and he's a, he was a burning and his shining lamp, a fire consumed. Jesus saying of, of John that he's, he's consumed with, with God. He's shined bright, the glory of God. So getting back to the basics is being consumed with the things of God and shining so bright, the glory of God. See, getting back to the basics requires us developing relationships with non-believers. Non-believers, serving them, loving them, and caring for them. Serving them, loving them, and caring for them. See, living in purity, then living in proximity. Close enough to him to influence them with the gospel. With the gospel. Doing something that will cause them to look to God. Doing something that will cause them to love God. See, that's our focus. Finding somebody. I've talked about it for several weeks now. and Finding somebody. Finding a, a couple or finding an individual. And finding ways to serve care for them. How can I serve them and how can I care for them? You know, being like Jesus to them so that they'll see Jesus and come to know Jesus. He was like a burning 
and shining lamp. And the Spirit filled them. Verse number four, the scripture tells us they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. <laughs> Just like Jesus said, you can trust the word of God. He always delivers what he declares. When Jesus said it, that settled it. He always delivers what he declares. In John chapter 14, he said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He'll teach you all things. He'll bring to remembrance the things that I say to you. I think it's interesting to see how when the Holy Spirit brings things to, to memory, brings things back to mind, to be able to quote things off when we least expect it, when, when the pressure gets turned up and all of a sudden that verse pops in our mind. Somebody says, if, I've never, if, if I don't study the scripture, I don't have that. I like to think of it this way. I need to prepare today for tomorrow's battles. See, our military does just that, don't they? How come we don't do that in our Christian life? If our military is preparing for a battle for tomorrow, you go, I hope that we don't have a, a, a global warfare of any sort, but you know what? They prepare for it, don't they? How come we don't prepare our individual lives for the battle with the prince and the power of the air, the prince of this world? the devil himself, who seeking whom he may devour as a roaring lion, whom it is that he might devour. See, we walk through and you go, hmm, the Holy Spirit, the helper comes, whom I'll send from the Father, and the Spirit of truth proceeds from the Father, he'll testify of Jesus. Now, they had real power, the Holy Spirit power in, in their life, and sadly, that's probably the last time the entire church filled with the Holy Spirit somebody says uh, pastor what does that mean what, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit and is every believer filled with the Holy Spirit well the answer to that is is everybody every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit that is true but not every believer is filled with the Holy Spirit see getting back to the basics means every believer that makes up this fellowship living a spirit filled life See, God wants every believer in our fellowship to filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants every believer in our fellowship to, to know the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. See, that means that uh, we'd have to turn over and look in, in Ephesians chapter number 5. When we get to Ephesians number 5, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean? Well, it, it uh, means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It means to be led by the Spirit of God in everything. His filling not only gives power, but it gives us purity. To be led. Now, let me, let me take a second and, and uh, pick on being led for a moment. Because I think it's kind of interesting how many folks, if we think about being led... You look at it and you go, hmm, let me take you back so that it's a visual we can see. If I take you and we go to the park, you'll look and you'll see moms and dads with the littlest ones, right? And they'll be walking them around, kind of leading them around to go through the, the park. Sending them to the things that they can do that's their size. How do they do so? Well, they grab their hand, right? They lead them along. How about when they get to the parking lot? 
if they're a good parent, they're going to grab their hand, right? Lead them along. Because otherwise they get run over by people who drive like I do. God forbid. But there we go. Now how about when the kids get a little older? There's an instruction that's given. I watched the van, the doors open on Miss Heather's vehicle. And it's really kind of funny because the doors go poof. I was sitting at the park the other day. She had a van load or a car load of kids and the doors go poof. Mm, they're gone. There was no leading. They were gone. I sat in the van and said, that just looked very overwhelming to me. Matter of fact, I was joking with Heather. I said, I think it's time for me to go home. You just overwhelmed me. But you know, the, the leading that came following that is Heather comes out and goes to the table and she has a bag. She sets it up on the table and do you know it was just absolutely amazing because it was not five minutes that the bag was sitting on the table and here comes a young person to say, Miss Heather, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Miss Heather says, you have to wait. Why? Because you didn't listen. Aww. Turns around and runs off. I thought it was funny that within five minutes, the same young person. Miss Heather! I thought this is going to get good again. I thirsty. I thirsty. I thought, I'm wondering if she's going to give him a hard time again. She looked at this one and goes, looks at him this time and says, Buddy, you drank all your drink in the car. You see, what is she doing? She's leading him along, right? Giving him the instruction that he needs. At the moment, she had already told him what he needed to do in the car. Obviously, he didn't listen very well. Told him not to drink all of his drink, and he didn't listen very well. All of a sudden, you know what? There were compound issues. Compound issues that came along with it and, and created a thing because I found it interesting being led. Being led is like being a little kid again when we grab the hand and say, okay, here I come. I think it's interesting to watch. There's a generation of kids that they need to be rearranged. I say that in all kindness, but you know it's amazing because they don't know what it's like to stop at the asphalt in order to look both ways in the road without mom and dad getting ready to string them up. And I just find it amazing. We, we have one around here that will dart right across that road, and I have watched mom and dad get after that child more times than I can count. It runs right across the road. Doesn't matter if cars coming, not coming. I go, oh, it's not going to end well one of these days. But you know, it's interesting. 
Because sometimes that same child just needs to be led. See, that child can be rebellious at any point. Just like we can be rebellious at any point. Because it's really funny if that child goes and, and I go with Miss Heather and that same child goes with us, the whole atmosphere changes. The whole atmosphere. Because it's just so funny. That child walks. Because I told him, I said, you got a choice. You can grab my hand or you can walk beside me. Walk beside you. I said, okay. And he goes, it's not right. He walks beside you and you didn't even tell him to heal like a dog. He walks beside you. He says, I tell him to stay near the cart and he's four aisles away and I got to go get him. You know what the reality is is that's exactly the way in which we respond to God we respond the same way God I'm willing to I'm willing to let you lead me or I'm willing to fight all the way along because I like my way better than God's way I started writing a sermon the other day I got so excited I got so excited I was I having fun I have a what if sermon I don't know when I'm going to preach. I had no idea, but I've been writing a what if sermon. What if I did the things that I know I'm supposed to do? What if? And I, I'll put all these hypothetical questions, the what ifs. Because I have thousands of what if questions. Because every Wednesday night starts with a what if from a teenager. What if? You don't really think that's going to happen to you? No. Why ask the question? What if? And I was going through, what if? And I got all kinds of questions. That's the whole side note. I'm getting distracted now. Ephesians chapter number 5. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means to be controlled. It means to be led by the Spirit. His filling only gives us power. It not only gives us power, it gives us purity. It gives us passion for the lost. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18, when he tells us there, he says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, what's the difference from being filled with the Spirit and being baptized with the Spirit? Well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place once. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit have you all been baptized into one body. You're saved. You've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. He baptized you into the body of Christ the second that we were saved. If we're saved, we've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. One baptism. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place once. The filling of the Holy Spirit takes place daily. There's one baptism but many fillings. One baptism but many fillings. So let me show you. When Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, he says to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he uses present tense right now. Be filled, keep on being filled. So how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? By coming clean each day. By surrendering every day. By yielding our will to his will. By daily repentance. See, we're, we're a spirit-filled Christian. Are we a spirit-filled Christian today? We're far enough in our day, we ought to be able to answer that one and go, yes, no. See, that's where the, the power is. That's when the power comes, being filled with the Holy Spirit. See, just as they could not avoid getting their feet dirty while walking the streets of Jerusalem... With open-toed sandals, you can't walk in this world without getting dirty. 
let's be honest, you you can't hardly walk across without getting dirty. You can't live in a, uh, the spirit-filled life without a daily time of confession and a daily time of repentance. See, back to the basics means living the spirit-filled life. You say, why should I live a spirit-filled life? Or why should I, I live spirit-filled? Because to refuse to live, live in, uh, to ref yeah, let me back up. To refuse is to live in disobedience to the word of God. To say, I don't want to be spirit-filled is to say, I'm going to be in disobedience to the word of God and to the will of God for our life. We ought to be a spirit-filled Christian so that we can experience the power for living and the purity for living. We ought to decide to be spirit-filled Christians so that we can witness with power and serve with power. And no wonder the early church turned their world right side up. No wonder they saw thousands saved. No wonder they did so much with so little, serving God in the power of the Spirit. But before God does a great work through us, He has to do a great work in us. See, if he's going to, before He does a great work through us, He's got to do the work in us. The people God empowers are not a perfect people. They're surrendered saints. Are you and I? Aren't you ready? Say, sure, preacher. Sure, preacher. I'm ready. See, spirit-filled saints are unlimited saints. They're unified. They're usable. And they're unstoppable. They're unstoppable. See, to be spirit-filled means I've spent my time with God today. I said, here I am. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny to preach this message and to watch my days line up through the week. I always find that an amazing way of looking at, at the, the week because many days, many weeks... I can look at the week and I go, Lord, I know what I'm, what, what the message I'm planning on preaching and I'm not quite sure how this all fits together. But this week it was really kind of a funny thing. Because I have a couple of, of uh, I have a, a referral partner in the business that he sends work over and he's among the, the we'll, we'll put the quotations up there, among the who's who in Columbus. He knows that I'm a Christian, he knows that I'm a believer, and he knows that I'm a pastor. And he knows that if he shows up on Saturday, I'm inviting him to church. And he knows that if he doesn't tell me he's going to church with his mama, that I'm going to give him garbage and tell him that he better get in church. Cause I'll, and he'll go, you give me a hard time worse than my mama. And I said, that's because I love you. He looks at me and shakes his head. Yesterday, I had the privilege to work with one of his friends. One of his friends, and he shows up, and I'm giving him a hard time. And his friend's standing there, and he's going, he's giving you the crap. Josh goes, oh, don't invite that. He's coming after you next, just so you know. He doesn't know any different. He has no idea. And he says, and it was kind of funny because this gentleman's fiance is sitting in the, in the dining room and she says, get him. 
She had no idea what Joshua was talking about. No idea. And she goes, get them. And I said, good. Her dad says, please, both of them, get them both straightened out. And I said, I just kind of chuckled. I said, great. I said, let me ask you a couple of questions. And it's funny because the dad goes, I wasn't ready for the preacher to show up today. We laid the gospel out plain and simple. I gave him the address for the church and said, you'll be all right. You can come in. You'll fit in our crowd. Nobody will know any different. They both kind of shook their head, looked at me kind of funny. I said, trust me. But the reality is, I thought it was funny because I was like, Lord, one of the things I ask God to do is don't let me preach a sermon about being filled with the Holy Spirit without an opportunity to be able to look and say, yeah, an opportunity to present to God. It's kind of like saying, oh, we need to share the gospel. But the preacher didn't do that this week. <clears throat> no, I can't do that. And I looked at these guys, and it was just so funny because we talked and we had a great time. I had a great privilege in talking with them and and uh, and, and breaking down some barriers. And, um, it's kind of funny because Josh says before we're done, he goes, "I've heard that sermon before." And I said, "Mm-hmm." And he said, "My mama has preached that sermon for a long time." And I said, and even a prodigal son came home. And it's kind of funny because the other guy goes, what's a prodigal son? And I said, it's time for you to describe, Josh, what a prodigal is. It's really kind of an interesting conversation to listen to. But you know what? God has a way. God has a way. And I believe that when we look at Acts chapter 2, we can look at the 3,000 souls that were saved and I can get all excited. <laughs> believe me, I love to talk about folks getting saved. But you know what would be more exciting would be to see us in one accord and watch the power of God fall upon our church and to see us grow as the early church grew. He's the same God. He's still calling people to be obedient. We just have to be willing to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.